Tiffany Ferguson examines YouTube and internet culture with a critical eye and discusses topics related to social issues and media. Her internet analysis videos are in-depth, well-researched, and presented in a conversational, engaging, well-paced format. She deep dives into topics such as the dark side of family vlogging, internet flexing, YouTuber relatability, meme culture, consumerism, and a lot more. As of this year, she's a university graduate with a degree in media studies, which she funded in large part from her YouTube earnings. YouTube has always been rife with drama from creators and from YouTube itself. So Tiffany offers rational, clear-headed insight into this platform from someone who's been in the trenches, who's been producing content consistently for a decade. This is going to be a good conversation. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I love intros because I'm like, yes, flatter me. I love to hear myself talked about in this way. I'm like, oh, that sounds very, yeah, again, very big for my ego, but uh, I'll take it. Well, Tiffany, let's spend more time talking about you. Hell yeah. March, March 17th, 2011 is when you started your YouTube channel. Uh, take us back to that time. How old were you? And what were you doing when you first discovered YouTube? That's actually the start of my, this current channel, but my first channel was called Tiffany the Prez, and I started that in 2007. Oh, wow. So I've been in the game even longer. Oh, you've um, been in longer than I have. <laughs> you started the year before I did. I'm like, oh, we're going to talk about records? Here I am. Um, I was literally, what, 11 years old or something? No, that, that doesn't add up. 12? Whatever. I was in fifth grade, elementary school. Um, I was literally the president of my like student council, and I had just learned about YouTube and I thought, oh, cool, I can make videos for my school. So that's why I was Tiffany the Prez. Did not end up doing anything for my school, luckily. Um, but I did start making some very weird videos, like recording on my mom's Razor cell phone. <laughs> so ever since then, I just, you know, I loved the craft of making videos. And I used to do these like with Microsoft Paint. I would draw little animations. And those were some of my early videos which have now been lost, unfortunately. But yeah, I've been, I've been on YouTube since the very early days. What did you do with all those old videos? Do you still, did you just delete the channel or delete the videos? Oh no, it's, it's, it's all private on that channel now. Um, <laughs> uh, I have lots of like music videos and like dorky vlogs with my friends. They're all still on there for me to access, but I just thought for the sake of everyone involved in those videos, a lot of my like, my best friends who were kind of forced into making videos with me. I was like, I think I'll private these for you now because that's, that's a bit much for people who didn't ask for it. Sounds like you have a ton of blackmail content available though, <laughs> if need be. Lots of embarrassing, very embarrassing stuff. So it looks like you're, you started your current channel called Tiffany Ferg. I don't mm. know, do you actually call it Tiffany Ferg or is that, I haven't- I, I call it think, Tiffany Ferg, yeah. You? Okay. It looks like you started that channel in 2011, but it looks like your first video was posted a year later, but it looks like it references an earlier video. So was that, is that a video that the first year is you've taken down or is that from that other channel? I used to be very like, oh, I'm never going to take videos down. <laughs> like through my whole YouTube process, I wanted people to see like, I've been on YouTube since I was 11. Here's my different channels and stuff. I also was in like a few collab channels over the years but um once pretty much once i started internet analysis and i feel like i was in this new phase of my channel i looked back on my earlier videos and i was like 
I don't want someone watching internet analysis to get recommended like a vlog of me at like 17 years old because it's just not relevant. Um, so I started to, to private a lot of my older videos and also, yes, the, the embarrassment <laughs> element. Um, so yeah, it doesn't really make sense in terms of like getting the full view of the arc of my channel anymore, but there are, I mean, I must've made like 2000 videos now and wow. I think only maybe like three or 400 are probably still public on this channel. And you really found your footing with the internet analysis videos and that was fairly recently maybe what three or four years ago when you started doing those i think that was late 2018 okay. yeah and that was that was such a godsend for my channel because obviously it promoted a lot of growth and creativity but yeah mostly i was like in a rut and feeling very like you know i had been on youtube forever <laughs> and as always you know the creative grind gets to you sometimes and i didn't know what types of videos to make and at that point i had been making a lot of more like personal videos about like my college journey and studying abroad and i got to a point where i was rejected from all the colleges that i was trying to transfer to which was very unexpected um and very dramatic and so i kept making these update videos and i'd get a few comments like girl your life is a mess like please stop <laughs> you need to get your shit together and i was like okay that's rude. I don't want to share this. <laughs> so I got to the point where um, I just didn't want to focus on like my life anymore, especially because I was at such a, a messy place. And I was like, I need to make videos about topics and just like focus on that. So that's definitely been really great. It looks like the first one you did was probably uh, from what I pieced together was it was the one you made about Emma Chamberlain. Yeah. Uh, and so that one kind of brought you out of this aha now i know what i can do <laughs> with this channel and i thought that there was a bit of irony to that video and the fact that you were talking about another youtuber who was becoming really popular at the time right. because she made a video about emma chamberlain and of course yeah. you made the video about <laughs> emma chamberlain and your channel. very meta yeah and so was it it was at that point when you decided to I don't want to say pivot your channel, but you definitely found your focus then, huh? Yeah, it was interesting because I had been studying film at my first university. And, you know, again, I had always been into video production and, and content creation, but I didn't really like the film program. So I was like, honestly, I'm not going to work on a film set for 13 hours a day. I don't have the energy for that. Um, and we'd have these guest speakers come and they'd talk to us about the industry and they'd be like, to be honest, like I got my film degree, which is great. Um, and I thought I'd be a director and a screenwriter, but now I like, I'm a PA and I'm not making enough money and I don't have time to work on my passion, passion projects and I have all this debt. So yeah. And we're like, so that's what we have to look forward to after we graduate. Yikes. Obviously it's something that you have to be very passionate about to, to get through that industry. But yeah, so I, I had this interest in film and obviously I had all of my experience and time on YouTube as a creator and a viewer. So I think it all just culminated in the same video where I was like, oh, I can just talk about YouTube. Duh. <laughs> like, I don't think I really was in the parts of YouTube that were, you know, discussing film or discussing, there was like a commentary community, but it was a little more like reaction based. And I was like, let's just talk about YouTube in a way that I hadn't really seen, you know, come across my own radar. Yeah, and that's what's a, a lot different from your channel from others is like Cody Co or some of these people who are, they're really well-made videos, but they're just reacting mostly to videos. And yours are really well-researched. You 
clearly spend a lot of time on your topics. Yeah, I do. And I do love Cody Ko. He's, you know, one of my influences. Though I think I'm like, I don't think I have the sense of humor and especially not anymore. Um, I used to be very like humor based in my videos and I do a lot of sketches. And at one point I thought I wanted to be like a stand up comedian and be an SNL. And then I think I realized I don't think I'm that funny <laughs> or like that might not be my strongest suit. And um, again, the, the Internet Analysis series doesn't necessarily rely on me being funny all the time, though I do like to throw in a joke or like editing or just kind of my tone always sounds sarcastic, I guess. <laughs> so I think that that contributes to it sounding like a little more funny than I intended. Um, but yeah, like I was seeing all of these funny reaction videos, but I was like, can we have like more, not serious conversations, but like, I want to get a little deeper into the, the YouTube sphere. How do you organize your uh, topic? Uh, how does a, how does an idea come to you? I have, I'm, I'm starting to use Notion now because I've seen people talk about how productive they can be with it. So I tried to organize all my video ideas and I swear I have like 75 main channel topic ideas. <laughs> and um, they used to just be in a notes app on my phone and I would just like think of something, write it down, maybe a couple extra little notes, but I would just leave it there for like months. And if I ever thought of anything extra, I'd add it and just let it like very slowly brew so that I can, you know, kind of more naturally think of what my position is and what's an interesting argument. Um, so these days, when it's time for me to pick a video, I look at that large list and I go, okay, is anything relevant? Is there anything I'm just particularly interested in right now? Because that's the hard part is like, the research is pretty time intensive. And if I pick a topic that I don't love, halfway through the process, I'm just going to be like, I hate this. It's not even good. <laughs> it's not worth doing, which has happened. I've gotten through my script or I've even started filming and just been like, I hate this. I don't <laughs> even want to do this video, which uh, is pretty exhausting. But um, yeah, the actual research process and the way that I write my script is pretty similar to how I would write like a college essay, um, but obviously a lot more casual and uh, a conversational tone. So yeah, I mean, it's funny because <laughs> I do say that I like research these videos, but then I watch these other like video essay channels and I just feel like my research does not compare. Like they're citing all these like journals and all these books they read for this one video. And I'm like, I read this article. <laughs> I saw Here's the Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah. I saw another video about it. Here's a clip. Exactly. I'm like, here's Urban Dictionary. So I feel like a sham. But I think that's also part of, um, I want my videos to be accessible and not like deeply academic, even though that's really fascinating for me to watch. I know that um, a broad audience doesn't necessarily always understand those topics on that like deep academic level. So I try to make things a little bit like an intro like, I don't want to be condescending or water things down, but I do want it to be, yeah, accessible. And ultimately, you're still making YouTube videos, so it still needs to be entertaining <laughs> right. to a certain extent. Uh, how, right. much do you, how much do you call the audience for ideas? Or how, much, uh, how many times has a video idea come, uh, come across that you hadn't thought of, but it, it was just so requested that you ended up going through and making a video from it? Sometimes that happens. Usually um, it's, it's always that like push and pull of like, do I do the topics I'm interested in or do I do what people want? 
because like my last video, it's, it wasn't a flop necessarily, but it didn't do as well as like my last two. Um, my last video was a, a meme analysis of normies and locals. Right. A very like personal project, not related to anything. It's not like a, <laughs> a hot topic right now, which kind of reflects why people are like, why would you do this? Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, sometimes I'll ask like, okay, what do you guys want? And, and sometimes I do get really great ideas or they connect to another idea I had and, you know, I go with that. And then sometimes it's like, you know, just some topics that I'm not interested in, but I see pop up on other commentary channels. Because, um, yeah, there are things that I, I might be interested in it as a viewer, but I, I'm not necessarily the creator to cover it. I've found that a lot of um, TikTok-related topics are being requested, yeah. but I'm not using TikTok. I haven't been on TikTok this whole time which is a big uh, <laughs> disadvantage if you're talking about internet culture. So anytime I do reference TikTok, it's like from a, I saw it on Twitter, I saw it on Instagram reels reposted. Um, so yeah, I'm not the, the TikTok expert. So that's one thing that I'm leaving to everybody else. Yeah, I think my exposure with TikTok is mostly watching YouTube commentators talking about exactly. TikTok and, and right. showing those off. Your editing style is, really kind of its own style and i know you're probably drawing from different influences but when you say when you talk about your research it's clear that you're very careful and you want to get all of the information correct and you have a lot of cutaways throughout the video while you're editing you'll cut in to either mm -hmm. clarify a point or just to um, add to it and i think that's a really smart way of doing it Thank you. Yeah, I when I first started internet analysis, I, I didn't exactly script like my whole video, I kind of had an outline. And I kept finding that I would say things not exactly how I wanted and I'd go back in and there were way more of those like me editing kind of clips. And um, it got to a point where some people were like, Okay, there's a lot of those like you need to, <laughs> you need to maybe uh, work on the scripting a little bit more. So that's what I've done. And, and now like, my scripting, again, it's written exactly in my voice, and sometimes I add like improvised points or jokes or something, but I still find that in editing, even though I try to write everything as specifically and nuanced as I can, in editing I'm like, oh wait, let me add that, or like I add little text notes. I'm just, I am very concerned about being precise and being careful, and um, I never want to be offensive or too flippant, but like it's such a delicate balance and I, I find myself being like am I giving way too many disclaimers or like am I completely over explaining this very simple point and I think that I do get into that trap sometimes. Do you do all of the different elements of the process yourself as in do you upload the videos, launch the videos, handle the comments and all of the rest? Yeah so I've, I've, wanted, <laughs> I've wanted some help for a long time but I don't know how to even begin doing that. Like I would love an editor. I, I do, um, I use this like time clock tracker that to see how long it takes me to do my work. Um, it's been really fascinating to see because now I know how long it takes to make a video. I know how long it takes to make a podcast, whatever. Um, so I've seen that like editing, for example, is a big thing that I could outsource and save myself a lot of time. And then I could get started on the next video rather than these long gaps between my uploads. But then I'm like, how do you even begin to start working with an editor? Right. How, do you, how do you find someone who's a good fit? How do you give feedback? Like, how do you even send all these files? Like, <laughs> I've found that there are so many like, specific parts of the process that I have to figure out before I actually 
hire someone. And then I'm like, how do you hire someone? How do you hire an employee? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just getting like into the mess of the, the business side of it. The only thing I outsource is just captions, but that's pretty simple. And um, that's definitely, you know, something that I don't want to spend the time doing because I know it's a painstaking task, but it's definitely worth uh, paying for. How much time do you spend on thumbnails? Oh my God. That's my problem, I think, is like... Do you have a thumbnail problem? Yes, I have a thumbnail problem. We find most creators end up having yeah. thumbnail problems because well, I'll ask the question to everybody and they'll just be like, okay, and they'll take a breath and it's like, okay, let me <laughs> yeah, tell you my process. Do. And they bring out Gantt charts and stuff. Anyways, yeah, it's a nightmare to be honest. Um, I, I just hit that with my last video as well. So internet analysis has its own like unofficial thumbnail style now that I'm scared to change because I want it to be recognizable. Um, but some people would argue like, oh, it gets a little stale or like sometimes I make the mistake of like doing a little poll of like, oh, which thumbnail should I pick? <laughs> oh, yeah. and, and then people, it's always the one I don't want right. or people will go, oh, this is a little busy. It's a little messy. Take these things out. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I ask for feedback and then you I don't, don't want it. Want it. Right. Exactly. I'm like, I'm going to trust. I know it works. But, um, yeah, like my last video was about normies and locals and, I realized when I was going to make the thumbnail and I was all excited to post the video that like, how do you visually represent normies and locals <laughs> right. or like these word based, like this word based analysis. So I was like, hmm. So the first thumbnail that I made, I realized the video was kind of flopping in the first couple hours relative. Flops are always relative, but um, you can tell <laughs> and uh, the creator studio will tell you. And so I was like, oh. Maybe I'll change the thumbnail. Maybe it's unclear. So I did. And then I actually got one comment because I had posted on my story. I was like, oh, I changed the thumbnail. Hopefully it's better now. I got a comment after that was like, no matter how many times you change the thumbnail, it's not going to make the topic interesting. And I was oh, like, burn. roast Ouch. me. I was like, okay. I was like, is this person following me on Instagram and then going to right. destroy me in the YouTube comments? Damn. <laughs> so... <laughs> I know that I, I probably should in advance. I've heard creators say that before they even make a video, they ask, do I have a good title and do I have a good thumbnail idea? And I think that's wise. I might consider that in the future now. Usually I do have like a title idea, but yeah, thumbnails are just like, I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not a very visual person. I'm not, I'm not aesthetic in any way, <laughs> as the kids say. So I find it's really hard for me to make a thumbnail aside from like what works and then I just post it and hope that, you know, it functions well. And so much of your video success relies on that thumbnail just to get people to click exactly. on it. It's crazy. A lot of what you talk about has to do with relatability on YouTube. And it, I was thinking about that when you were talking about trying to find an editor and how hard that is. And I think the reason why for a lot of us is because as relatable YouTubers, that's like half of the deal is our editing mm -hmm. and our own style that we bring to that and bringing on a different uh, editor can sometimes be very jarring to viewers yeah. and like, well, this isn't you. What do you think is the hardest part about keeping yourself relatable? Interesting. Yeah. Well, I just want to say about editors, like I remember when like Cody Ko got an editor yeah. and you could tell and everyone's like, hmm, this is a, a little different. It's a little much. 
I remember when Emma Chamberlain got an editor and same thing. People were like, we love your editing. How dare you? Even though now you can see it's improved her workflow and her upload consistency. It, the adjustment period is weird. And like, yeah, that's part of my, my control is like, I'm scared to release that control. And I'm like, do I want them to replicate my editing style or do I want them to be better? Because I don't think I'm a great editor. Like, to be honest, in all the years that I've been editing, I feel like I've plateaued and like, I'm not willing to learn like After Effects or anything. Like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm the same anything way. deeper yeah, than yeah, this. Yeah, me too. <laughs> You're not <laughs> alone on that one. <laughs> I'm like I'm super like, fast at what I do. I've, that's it. I've Shopping hit my peak. And... I know exactly what I need to do, and that's all. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, okay, I know that there are editors that are so talented and so creative that can do way better than me. But then I'm like, I'm like, well, how do I tell them to make these tiny little changes? Like, like right in my intro, when I put up internet analysis, I have a little sound file that's called blop and you have to put blop right there and you have to lower the volume so it's not too loud. And I'm like, I'd have to tell them all these specific things. And then how do I jump in and put in my little editing like webcam clips? And I'm like, obviously you can figure that out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for me, it hasn't been a, a relatability issue because I haven't even been able to work on even testing an edited video by someone else. But yeah, for me, I mean, I think being in college and, and that I just realized, uh, graduated in December, being in college, I think kept me, you know, um, relatable because I was still going through a lot of the same things, even though a lot of my audience now is out of college or even in their like 30s, 40s. So even college wasn't relatable anymore, <laughs> but um, I think it just kept me like a normal person. And I, I was scared to fall into that full-time YouTuber, like, you know, all of your concerns are about you and your views and these very unrelatable things. I try to remind myself that like, yeah, nothing about being a full-time YouTuber is actually relatable. Right. So I, I try to limit my complaints, uh, but also like so much of what I go through and so much of my anxiety and my concerns on a daily basis are these very niche concerns <laughs> that come from being a YouTuber. So like, sometimes I just feel like I can't really express that because I just don't want to alienate the audience. But I do find that when, when YouTubers open up about these things, the audience is interested in it and they can also either relate in their own way or at least feel sympathetic. <laughs> as long as you're not being like a total, like out of touch asshole about it. Right, right. How do you handle sponsored videos? And, and what, what does sponsored videos look like now versus even just a few years ago? For me, I just think of my sponsorships as just like a commercial ad break. Um, I know that within other genres, they really want you to like integrate the product and talk about how it has changed your lifestyle, for example. Um, but I like that within at least the commentary sphere, it's pretty like well accepted and normalized that like, it's like, okay, and now a word from our sponsor, and then you'll never hear from them again after 90 seconds. Um, and as long as my, you know, the brands that I work with understand that that's what the deal is, then like, we're good. <laughs> um, sometimes, you know, it gets a little tricky with um, them wanting to kind of control the topic of the video or the things that I say in the video, because like, I'm like, I can't guarantee that this is like, family friendly, non-controversial, because like, you know, in, from a brand's perspective, any sort of critical analysis could be controversial. 
So those are the, the tricky things for me to navigate. Um, but usually if, if they were to request too much control, I would just say no. Um, but yeah, I, back in the day, I remember when, like, um, for me, it was like early beauty guru girlies. Like when I was like 16, a lot of my female peers on YouTube were beauty gurus. So they were doing their fashion hauls and makeup looks, going to these beauty conventions and like, I was stubbornly like, I'm going to do comedy videos. I'm not like the other girls. I've unpacked all <laughs> of that. Great CPMs in comedy. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. That's what people want. Um, all of my internalized misogyny and being like, I don't like makeup. Mm, whatever. But um, I remember when they started to get brand deals for the first time and people would be getting called out, called sellouts. And people were mad to see any sort of ads or paid things, or even, I think, people receiving things for free. And, like, I'm so glad to see that this fear has um, changed in the way that, like, audiences understand that creators deserve to be paid for their work. And that if you don't like a sponsorship, you can skip through it, and it's totally fine. And, like, you know, generally, I think people even cheer for the creators they see, like, get that coin. And I'm so glad to, to see that. But also, I think there's a little more transparency in that, like, creators want to be very clear when there's an ad, and they still do want to only promote things that they agree with or that align with their brand or their values. Um, so generally, I don't see a lot of problems with sponsorships, unless it's like, you see these scammy things. Yeah. And those can be, you know, very problematic. Yeah, that was a problem. I think that was it. I, I get Jake and Logan confused, <laughs> which is right. the, which is the one. I that think it did, was Jake who did the the, the gambling, basically yes. gambling for kids. For kids, yeah, that was that's something that like blows my mind. That like not only them as creators, obviously they're offered money and they're just blinded by that, and you know, they're they haven't shown to to have much of a moral compass <laughs> in terms <laughs> no. of their responsibility, but um. But like their whole teams, like the, the people who made this website, like everybody along the way was like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's have kids get their parents' credit cards and like think they're going to win a mansion or a Lamborghini. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's incredible. Well, the whole the whole flex culture is just is so out of control. I mean, there's you're going to laugh, but there's actually a flex culture in woodworking. I mean, it is. Oh, I bet. I mean, it's in everything. And I think you even mentioned this in your video that flex culture, it doesn't necessarily have to be flexing on money. It could be flexing on a lot of different things. And, and in my space, it's like a YouTuber will start making videos out of their garage. And the next thing you know, they're buying this 10,000 square foot warehouse to put a bigger shop and buy these $100,000 tools. And, and it's just, it gets crazy. But it seems like we've gotten to the point where uh, people just, seem to enjoy watching that. I know, it is pretty interesting. And like, I I mean, I don't know. I always say like in my personal lifestyle, I don't think I have many things to flex. I mean, I don't know, that's a whole issue. It's like, I feel like in terms of like financial transparency, I would love to be transparent about like how much money I've made. Like, I think it's fascinating when people talk about AdSense earnings and like average brand deal stuff. Um, especially when it comes to the like disparities in pay for influencers, right. especially along like racial lines, that's been a big issue. And because of our 
our contracts and stuff, confidentiality, we're supposed to not talk about it. And that's obviously a big issue. I would love to see influencers unionize. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> um, and I don't know how we'd go about that. There's been sure. attempts. There's been attempts. I would love it. Okay, I need to look into this. I got to see. Um, but anyway, generally, I feel like my lifestyle is not too big of a flex, but also that's relative, whatever. Have you ever wanted to flex? Come on. You've gotten mm. something, you bought a new product, and it's like, ah, I want to film this and put a <laughs> video ad for it. And maybe the answer is no, and that's totally fine. Because I know that even when you do sponsorship deals, you're, you're, um, you're very much into uh, ethical companies and ethical products and all of the rest. So kudos for that. But at any point, have you been like, man, I finally <laughs> made enough. I finally hustled enough to get a Gucci bag. And I just want a picture of me on Instagram with the Gucci. Uh, that would be no. death to your brand if you had a Can Gucci. Can you imagine? <laughs> I used Gucci because I think you, you kept talking about Gucci slides exactly. in one of your videos. That would be funny. I, I think people would be like, is this for a video? This has to be some kind of like a April parody Fools. satire. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, I don't think I've had any like major purchases. I'd say like the biggest upgrade in my lifestyle is just like my apartment because I'm in New York and I'm like, well, I should probably, you know, we moved into an apartment that has more sunlight, which has been better for my mental health. I'm like, that's a flex. <laughs> having sunlight in your apartment, right? having some nice windows. There you go. You um, realize that there's always someone out there that whatever you're saying, it's a flex because oh, they yeah. don't have yeah. whatever it is that you're saying. That's yeah. True. I mean, that's true. And, and that's something I try to be sensitive to. Again, like I have to remind myself, it's not normal for someone my age to be making this amount of money. Like, right outside of college, not have a formal nine to five job or whatever to be working for myself. So I try to be aware of that. And also, again, throughout this pandemic, throughout 2020, like this is the worst time for people to be flexing about like how comfortable they are and how lucky they are to still have a job and still be making money. Like, oh, it's so like, it's so easy to forget that again, when you're living it. Um, and especially because like we've been isolated, like I'm only with my boyfriend at home every day. And so like, I'm not even around like my normal, normal, my non-internet friends, um, like back home. So I don't know what their lifestyles are like. I don't know how their jobs have been affected because I'm so bad at keeping up with people. <laughs> if I don't see them in person, it's like, we don't, you know, communicate. You don't whatever. exist, yeah. <laughs> we don't exist, it's fine. Even with YouTubers, I it seems like, your subscriber count has become a flex and it's not even just with youtubers it's been i've been to events where they introduce you and this is steve ramsey and he has this yes. many subscribers and it's this social commodity it's this number and it's why i didn't mention the number of subscribers that you have in the intro i gave because oh i'll mention it but, i'm proud of it no. but, but you are you are killing it on <laughs> subscribers see there there we go and but, and I find myself in that sort of same trap sometimes where I, I'll look at a new channel that I'm interested in and I look at how many subscribers there are just so I'm somehow get in my mind that, oh, okay, then it's a valid channel, which is, that doesn't make any sense. But I think we do put so much emphasis on subscriber counts and follower numbers. And I don't know how healthy that is for any, anybody really i'd say not healthy at all yeah. it's pretty straightforward i've been i used to go to vidcon because i was from orange county so i'd go up to anaheim 
And um, back then I was like a small creator, so maybe I'd get noticed by like one person. But I had a lot of YouTube friends who were like the big people who were in the fancy parties with their, you know, passes and stuff. And I'd get into those elite parties like one time, you know, a year. And yeah, I was so shocked to see these like big famous YouTubers and they'd introduce themselves and be like, so how many subscribers do you have? Yeah. And I'm like, 50,000. <laughs> like, I'm a nobody. I'm going to remove myself. Thank you. And I was like, even these people who are so successful and so well known are still what insecure enough or still like only want to associate with other people who are at least as relevant as them. I was like, this can't be true. But I guess it was, to, you know, for some people, not everybody. But um, that really kind of showed me that look behind the curtain of like, wow, it really can be this shallow, even in this space where you think people would understand like subscribers aren't everything or whatever. But I've found that um, I think subscriber counts are obviously a lot less relevant now. The only reason I care about my subscriber count is because I want my million plaques someday. <laughs> Since I was like 12 years old, I've been like, I'm going to get a million on YouTube, which was a hilarious joke when it took me like literally 10 years of making YouTube content to hit 100,000. Um, but then when I hit 100,000, I made a, a rap song on GarageBand called Hunted K. And I made a whole music video for that. <laughs> and so um, that was my big milestone. And now I, I just want to get the next one so I can have the next plaque, I guess. That's all. But I'm also terrified of having more subscribers because I know that the more viewers you have, the more intense YouTube gets. And I don't really want to add more pressure to myself. But it's also this, yeah, you have this constant pressure to be growing or otherwise it doesn't feel like you're, you know, being successful, even if you're still getting you know, millions of views a month or hundreds of thousands of views on a video, whatever. I feel like views are the, the more yeah. uh, <laughs> impressive flex these days. It is. <laughs> like if I, if I see a channel that's like, you know, you look at their view to subscriber ratio and you're like, oh my God, you get more views than subscribers. How are you doing this? And it's consistent. Yeah. That's where I'm like, wow, okay. And even like it, that way, it doesn't really matter what the size of the channel is. It's just more of that ratio. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been shifting a lot of my focus, even just as a viewer to smaller channels and trying to recognize a lot of the smaller or like up and coming people, especially in the commentary genre. Cause I feel like for a while it was like, there was like a handful of us in this new kind of internet commentary sphere, I guess like the peers that I consider myself to be associated with. And it's been awesome, especially in the last like year or so to see like, tons of new channels, especially like black female commentators and like just other people who aren't just like straight white people. Right. Because we all know that this this perspective has been shared enough and, you know, they bring so much more um, just like interesting topics and perspectives. So it seems like the only people that really care about subscribers are YouTubers themselves. Because yeah. even the general public, I realized that when we hit like 10,000 subscribers, most people that blew most people's mind anyways, people like right. 10, yeah. so 1.7 million subscribers, like, okay, you're big, whatever. Right. Like, it's, it's, I'm like, it, it, it's all just like a blur at this point. And the platform doesn't work that way. As in the way that you inter, we interact with the platform now to watch videos, D'Angelo, D'Angelo, D'Angelo Wallace, Wallace is doing mm -hmm. well 
because some of his videos are very, very much resonating. And I get that he has 2 million subscribers and that's growing and da 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 da, but that's not the thing. He's, he has these videos which are just resonating. And now when you open up your app, your YouTube app, it's based upon your viewing history, not your subscriptions anymore. It's kind of an archaic way to be like, I, I go through all my subscriptions and see what my, because I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I, I actually don't even really subscribe to many people at all. I just watch videos and then the algorithm's good enough to push pretty good videos to, to suggest to me, regardless of whether I'm subscribed to channels or not. So I, I do find it interesting how it, it is the people at VidCon was like, yeah, I got 300K. How many do you, oh, you have 400K? You want to do a collab? Right. Just, it, just because we're the only people that are taking kind of inventory of our subscriber numbers, at least at this point. I and that's so like, again, it's so, irrelevant because it's like you could have a million subscribers and a dead channel and you could have a million subscribers and be on the rise and be getting like you know millions of views per video so it's just a completely like irrelevant metric I'd say but yeah I guess it's it's the ego I mean it's the same thing for other platforms Twitter Instagram TikTok especially like you want to hit those follower milestones I, I I haven't really paid much attention to other platforms I find myself like especially in the last year just not wanting to post as much like I feel like I have nothing that I want to say <laughs> like I'm like all I can put all of my energy in is like my videos right. everything else I'm like I don't even want to post Instagram pictures I don't it kind of like, becomes a chore anything to say yeah it is a chore and yeah. it's like again especially like trying to keep up a YouTube channel is one thing but trying to be active on Instagram and not be you know blocked by their algorithm, it's like, I don't have time for all these. I can't, I'm not consistent enough and I'm definitely not interesting enough to, to have all this content all the time. So you probably were never interested in TikTok. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, no. I think actually part of it is my, I'm a very, um, and I know it's a fault. I, I ignore popular things and I've recognized it now, but like, I just can't. Like if something's super popular, I'm like not interested, even though I haven't given it a chance yet. And then I'll, I'll look back on it like five years late and be like, oh, that was a good thing. And it's like, yeah, no shit. It's the most popular thing <laughs> And then you make a video about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, for TikTok though, I feel like my, my thing is, I think I want to hang on to my, um, my focus. And um, people have said that, you know, obviously TikTok and before that Vine, like you get used to these very short attention span types of content. And I, I, I love long form content, especially on YouTube. And I'm always like playing something on my phone or playing a podcast, listening to videos all day long. Um, I can't be alone. <laughs> so um, when it comes to TikTok, I was like, I'm just not interested in like, TikTok requires you like sitting. You have to be active. And like letting it mm -hmm. like play and watching it. And I, I'm not quite as interested in that as I am in like listening to something. Even if I'm only passively listening to a video, it makes me feel better. Um, but also, yeah, I feel like that, that super short attention span stuff is like too high energy for my brain at this point, which makes me feel so old. I'm like, <laughs> I can't keep up with those Gen Z kids. I don't know how they, they watch. Can I say actually, <laughs> pet peeve about TikToks, I'm annoyed about the format because when you, like the, the way that TikToks are made, like they put up all these text on the screen and like you have to watch the TikTok like five times to read all of it. And that annoys me. The <laughs> right. fact that like I can't just like either pause it or watch it once like that bothers me. So I feel like I've just been very stubborn and that's why I've rejected TikTok so far. There was a great video recently and I don't remember if it was was it Danny Gonzalez or somebody posted a video about these. This There's like this genre of TikTok where they're like trying to do these really 
metaphorical videos where they're digging holes. Do you see that? Where they're always digging uh-uh. holes and then it's it's just the most bizarre thing. But all these little trends show up in in TikTok. And I know there are so many and I, I want to know what my for you page would be. I want to know what types of content I would attract or like enjoy. And again, I've seen TikToks that I've liked on Twitter or reposted right. on Instagram. But again, I I have downloaded it before and I've tried to get through like the initial uh, filtering thing, but I just can't. Again, it's like it takes time and it's something that like is effort rather than enjoyment, which is what it is for most people. Like TikTok has been such a big comfort to a lot of people, especially through 2020. So like, yeah, I just feel like I'm like, hmm, that's your that's your comfort blanket. But for me, it's like stressful. You make long form content on your channel too. Right. Like 30 minutes is pretty much standard. Do you find that uh, you have a pretty good retention rate? People are watching your entire videos? I don't know what a good retention rate is, but I think, I mean, you can tell kind of based on comments, but also, I mean, I do check my analytics rarely. Um, sometimes people ask like, yeah, how are your, how are your numbers? I'm like, all I can bear to look at is views and like maybe comment numbers, but all the like See if the paper airplane is, is crashing or something. You got to see right. which direction the paper airplane's going on. <laughs> I'm like, what's the airplane? Is that like the drop off rate or like how long people are? I think my retention rate is at least like, well, usually it's like 12-ish minutes, which is like out of a 25 or 26 minute That's video. That's not bad at all. Yeah. 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 I'm like, tell me I'm okay. When you, you mentioned um, VidCon, which is a complete zoo. <laughs> I've been to that so many, oh, yeah. so many times. But uh, Chad and I have had conversations many times about a different conference that we go to. And there's a lot of these family vloggers there. And not to bring bring down the room a little bit here, but I'd like to get Let's into <laughs> I'd like to get into this topic a little bit because Chad and I have talked about this for so long about how odd of a thing this whole phenomenon of of family vlogging is and we would see these families and they're all i shouldn't say all but the ones we were seeing were all very wealthy and they would they would shoot scenes these are our just daily hey we're just out doing stuff but then they would make the kids do it again they're like oh that wasn't right go back up the stairs come back down and do it again and it's it's so creepy and you had a couple of videos on there that really struck home with me you know was this the dark side of family vlogging and you know i'd like to hear your take on that where do you think that this is going and i think anybody's going to be putting the brakes on this i hope so it's funny i when i when i was first moving to new york and i was like unemployed and i definitely could not be a full-time youtuber yet i was looking for freelance editing work and i got hired by some family vlogger family which i was already opposed to but i was like sure i'll take it even though i think they were paying me something ridiculous like maybe 20 bucks for a video and it took me probably 15 to 20 hours of work hilarious but um yeah in watching the video i was like this is even creepier to like edit myself because like obviously you see the behind the scenes you see the retakes which I do in my videos, I do in my vlogs even, but again, it's, it's weirder to see um, someone else do it. <laughs> and so I feel like that made me self-conscious in terms of having other people edit. Cause I'm like, they're gonna see the creepy weird sides of me repeating myself 10 times, irrelevant. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where, I don't know when I began to, to think about this. I guess as somebody who myself has grown up on YouTube, 
Um, I know the impact of putting yourself out there, but for me, I was putting myself out there. My parents had nothing to do with my channel. I'm surprised that they let me <laughs> start a YouTube that early. Um, but like, it was always myself controlling my own image and it was a space for my creativity. I was not, you know, the workhorse for my parents to earn money. Everything I've ever earned from YouTube, I've been able to keep for myself. So when I started to think about the way that family vloggers use their cute kids and, and the general internet's love of cute babies and these cute stories and pregnancy announcements, like, you know, it's, it's obvious those things get a lot of views and they go viral and it's normal that that encourages a very strong and valuable parasocial relationship because people are literally seeing your kids from the time that you announce your pregnancy till you know them going to high school or something um so of course people are going to be connected to you but um yeah i started to think about the more sinister sides of that and just making those connections to to child stars and those are things that we've seen really tragic stories of you know these kids have a high when they're young and they're valuable because they're cute and then they reach a point where people don't want to see them anymore or like they're not getting those views or they're not getting, you know, those bookings or whatever. And then on the parent side, it's like, I'm a little bit <laughs> sassy because I'm like, you're not interesting enough on your own right. to get these views, to make this money, to get those brand deals. You have to use your cute kids as a big, you know, attraction for, for your videos. And then when it comes down to the topics and the, just the weirdness, like things are a little too, like there's not very much privacy. There's not room for kids to just be themselves. I don't think kids should be forced to perform, yeah. like either literally like retaking things or at least just to be vlogged every day. That's just so, I can't even imagine how angry I would be if my parents were trying to film me as an angsty teen. Like I would have, I would have run away, literally. So I kind of think just... that some of these kids might even have a harder time as they get older. And we don't really know the results of this yet. It, the, the verdict is, is not really out. It's kind of that new. Right. But I think it's, they're going to have a harder time than just celebrity kids, because at least celebrity kids had their own personal side of their life. Private these, homes. These, and we're playing a character. These yeah. kids yeah. are... Well, these kids are always playing a character, basically, is what they're doing, because they're never and, allowed But it's blurred be, those lines between what is a character, yeah. They're never yeah. really allowed to be kids and be themselves. And the, the titles and the thumbnails of these videos have gotten so crazy. And they, they follow yeah. these similar patterns where it's like, our house got robbed or... And, uh, uh, yeah. Or, it's just crazy. Or an emergency trip to the... To emergency the, room. To the emergency room. And then the picture is like the thumbnail needs to be the kid holding their you know tooth that they lost or whatever. It's just like... This is... like As a father of a three-year-old, I couldn't imagine trying to figure out how to like relate to my kid that oh we need to do this but this isn't real life this isn't real yeah. life we're doing this for the camera because people want and yeah that's when it started getting really weird for me when people started doing the whole like uh, it was either the drama associate like clickbait family right. vlog style as yeah. in like that's the stuff that's going to clickbait people and that's what they started focusing on yeah i know i've thought i've thought a lot like generally about like because obviously i liked documenting my life. I like having videos with my family. Obviously, everyone likes home movies and stuff. And I think family vlogging channels started out genuinely like that. And some sometimes even today, people start off like that. But I think it's just so powerful. If you happen to be one of those people who gets picked up by the algorithm, 
your videos blow up. It's so like once you start seeing that money and especially imagine you're a young broke family, you have a baby and now you have an opportunity to work from home and make a bunch of money. That's kind of like, you know, a miracle, but then, you know, it's just, you just fall into that and then you can't really even think about the ethical, you know, implications or the potential consequences consequences in the future for yourself or your kids and yeah so I'm, in in some ways I have sympathy but also I'm like hey your parents like I'm not a parent yet but I would like to have kids someday and I've already thought like I don't want to even show my kids faces online yeah. and even like other kids in my family like my little cousins or like my sister just had a baby I'm not gonna post her baby you know his face online because I'm just trying to be very careful about the the platform I have, even if other parents are okay with it. I just think that like this 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 space online grew so fast before we could have these conversations, and now it's kind of gotten out of control. And now we're like, okay, well, you can't take it back for those other kids who have already been posted online so much, but you can change how we behave from now and and protect privacy before these you know, situations start. The fact that kids have a digital footprint now from birth, right. like these family vloggers are making their babies Instagrams and they have like millions yeah. of followers like the week they're born. That's weird. That's objectively <laughs> weird. It is. And you know, weird, weird at best, you know. It's weird if someone does it with their dog. It's irresponsible. <laughs> it's right. irresponsible when you, or your yeah. cat or, or your mouse. <laughs> Or whatever it is, like I get like totally fine. But again, it's it's a kid. And further to your earlier point, I have sympathy and empathy for the people who got in it before we kind of knew what it was going to be. I get right. in 2015, if it was like, hey, this is fun. And all we're doing is literally just kind of documenting the trip to the dentist and this, mm -hmm. that and the other. I understand that it was a time that we didn't know, but that box, as you say, is now wide open. We all know it's wide open. So I think anybody getting in it today has to be well aware of what they're getting getting right. into and, and they've seen they've seen the ace families and they've right. seen you know there's money to be made and if you behave a certain way and if your kids are cute enough and if you as parents are you know attractive enough you can and that it. ends up being the difference because that ends up being the difference between a lot of people who got into spaces which are popular back in the day and did well because of one reason or another because they got into it for different reasons we got into cleaning because it was just like hey we wanted to actually promote our business our cleaning business in toronto and then there was this whole other thing that came from it but that was safe. That wasn't using our kids or, or anything like that. But now it's it's really, really addictive. It's full of sugar. And even on Instagram, I don't share pictures of at least the face of, of my daughter just because it, it just really became like, I, you, you see how prevalent it is that everybody has it out there and a three-year-old doesn't have agency to say whether Yeah, it's a question of consent in a lot of cases. So now it is up to you. You're the person who's in charge of that. So now you're literally saying that you're putting out there without consent. And I don't mean to draw it that harshly, but that's how I drew it for myself. It's like, right. well, then I'm, I'm going against her potential future um, you know, uh, disagreement with this by me posting this for the sake yeah. of getting a whole bunch of likes and a whole bunch of people are like, oh, so cute. <laughs> exactly. Because that's all you get from it. <laughs> right. They'll often say, well, you know, we always ask our kids, is this something you want to do? And it's like, well, anybody who's a parent knows that you can say, you're having fun doing this, right? And kids are always say yes, so, of yeah. course. They want to agree. They want to, they know what makes. And we're getting ice cream later, right? They know what makes <laughs> exactly. you happy. You know, <laughs> that's, that's just... Um, I think there's a new genre emerging, and that's the apology video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it seems like it's becoming its own YouTube thing, and there seems to be a certain, 
cer certain style that goes along with that. And I wonder if that's something you, that you've noticed. Yeah, I actually got a message today on Instagram. Someone was like, hey, here's an idea. Like, why do people always wear white in apology right. videos? Are they trying to look angelic? <laughs> yeah. And in, in watching They're so innocence. many- <laughs> Exactly. In watching so many of these apology videos and watching the reactions to the apology videos and even like body language analysts talking about the apology videos, I've thought way too much about it. And I think, I think everyone's been like, okay, like what is a good apology now? Like what's, what, how would you apologize to something? How can you be genuine? But it's such a catch 22 because it's like, we know the format already. We know what yeah. people ask yeah. for. And it's yeah. like, oh, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be no makeup, like wearing a yeah. hoodie, sitting on the floor to show that you're genuine, <laughs> but you've clearly already thought about it. Sitting on the floor in front of somewhere where you could sit is the rub. David, uh, David Dobrik did this recently. He has a yeah. perfectly good couch behind, beside him, but he's kind of in front. He says, hey, guys, it's late at night. Everybody went home, and I'm just sitting in front of the couch. That's the secret to it. It's, it's so, uh, it's interesting because it's like, there's kind of no way to win with apologies because, of course, no. like, depending on what you've done, like, it makes sense that a lot of people are not going to forgive you or at least aren't going to forgive you right away. Like, your 10, 15-minute video is not going to be enough to, to get people um, to forgive you or to support you again, which makes sense. But, um, yeah, it's become so cliche that, like, I mean, again, I think we all know by now the notes app apology is yeah. like, don't even do it. <laughs> right, don't right. do it. You're going to have to make a video after and then it's just going to look silly. But yeah, it's become so, yeah, it's such a weird space to navigate. It's and about it's, damage it's, control. You know, they're just trying yeah. to. But anybody I've ever seen on YouTube who has been in the position where they feel they have to have an apology video, they've done something really dumb. I kind of monitor that. And I, I've noticed a trend is that it doesn't take long to bounce back, even without an apology video, is that viewers have real short memories and they're like, soon by the time you post the next couple of videos, they're back on board. So I think that creators often think it's gonna be channel killer, but it rarely is. It's very interesting. And especially, I mean, when you really get into like the growth that some channels experience through drama or scandals, or even like really horrible, yeah. serious issues as we've been seeing these allegations mm -hmm. um, with David Dobrik's, you know, group and James Charles. Going like, back to Sam Pepper and even, you know. Exactly, yeah, I remember that. That was a huge issue and, and you know, consent. That was like one of the right. first times that we talked about that on YouTube. And um, yeah, I, one thing I wanna make a distinction about is like, I feel like we've gotten to the point where like, if you have some beef with someone and you make an apology video, that's one thing. But then there's like, again, in the, in the David Dobrik and the James Charles situations, like when people are being accused of actual crimes, that is a very different thing than like, yeah. you know, a social faux pas YouTube or drama. Or YouTube drama. So like, I feel like it's so weird to see like, like people kind of admitting to like actual crimes. And it's like, are we gonna actually see legal repercussions from this or are we going to just continue to only have this like we do have the social judgment um and that happens through these situations but yeah i'm like again an apology is not going to cut it we need to we need to see like some actual consequences and that needs to come from the legal system as much as i'm not like a fan of you know our our uh justice system because often it fails um i just feel like like we need something because just 
someone posting a video and having a little dip on their channel for a bit and maybe a slap on the wrist from YouTube is not enough when we're talking about people like targeting their fans or like assaulting people. Like that's not, that's not something that can be okayed with a YouTube apology. What do you think some of the things that YouTube is doing right now that is actually good and right and improving things? I'm like, I can't think of any. <laughs> no, I, um, I can I, follow it up with what do you think is not working or, or where do you have the improvement? But let's set the stage with it. Can you think of anything that YouTube has been doing where they've done it right? I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of one that I brought up a while ago, which is the comment moderation system, the ability mm. to mute a commenter and not show that you have seen, interacted or deleted their comment and just kind of puts a glass over, over them and allows them to kind of be in their own little echo chamber. Yeah, that's good. I don't think I even knew about that functionality. I feel like I don't pay much attention to like YouTube feature rollouts or like changes just because I'm so used to it them being disappointing that I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to know until I come across it and I'm like, oh, they did an annoying thing again. They made a change and it's worse. Um, Have you thought about making a short video, a hashtag shorts video? Oh, since you yeah. talked about how much you dislike TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is like, I think even if I wanted to make a TikTok or a reel or a short, I don't think I'm capable of making anything brief anymore. It would have to be the most simple sentiment and then I'd spend two minutes over explaining it. So I don't I don't know if that's a, a format that works for me. But I mean I have I have caught myself watching these random shorts that are popping up on my feed. They're always like the randomest things like like celebrities who were mean at restaurants and it's like this person didn't look me in the eye and like i'm just like hate when that i happens. sit there watching them <laughs> i'm like Scandalous. i can see you know this format might be fun eventually but again it's like it's just another example of like tiktok's popular reels right. is happening they're trying to capitalize off the same thing but i don't think it on its own is going to become like woo youtube shorts like that's not what people are on youtube for but you know what's another genre that's really been emerging the last couple of years on YouTube is the YouTube guru. So there's like mm. a lot of these people who are like experts now on how to grow your channel. And they all kind of follow the similar thing. It's like grow your channel to a thousand subscribers in 90 days or grow your channel to how to get a hundred thousand subscribers. It's mostly about subscribers, of course, they kind right. of are appealing to. But you look at their own channels, the channel that they're presenting the information on, and they always have like, you know, eight, 10,000 subscribers. <laughs> so it's, it's a, it's a weird, weird place, but boy, that is a real popular, real popular genre right now. Yeah. I can understand why it's popular. Cause obviously so many people want to be YouTubers. So many people are looking for those tips and tricks and advice, or even just like, you know, other people going through the same things. Being a small channel is really hard. It like it, it's obviously been a long time since I've been a smaller channel. But like, again, as I mentioned, it took me 10 years to hit 100,000 subscribers. And that was with consistent video posting. So like, I get why people like I always wanted to blow up. I always wanted it to be like an overnight thing. Um, even though now in hindsight, like if that had really happened for me, that would have been terrifying <laughs> and probably not the best thing. I think slow, sustainable growth is a lot healthier for you as a creator. And also I think it fosters a better community. But yes, I mean, I like I like the enthusiasm of smaller channels wanting to give YouTube advice. But it's also like, if you're <laughs> what I love are like the, the the people who are coaches, 
who sell you a, a class on how to be a coach how to, and how to coach other people. And it's so meta. It kind of gets into that. And like, it's like, yeah. it's like, do you really want to do YouTube content or do you just want to be popular on YouTube? Like, I feel like it gets to that point sometimes, which is interesting to be, to be able to really sustain yourself online you have to enjoy what you're doing at least to some extent. Like, I'm sure as we've all experienced, like, it, I mean, for me, it's almost like a weekly basis where I'm like, oh my God, can I do this any longer? Do I have anything left in me? But like at the end of the day, yes, I do enjoy YouTube. And also now it's my job. So like kind of have to do it. Um, but also I'm, you know, lucky to do it. So, but when it was, when it was a hobby, it was like, I, I had points where I wanted to quit, but then I was like, but what would I do? Where would I express my views? <laughs> like, I need YouTube as a as an outlet for myself. So yeah, you just got to enjoy it. And then maybe you'll get lucky. And maybe you'll attract those people and slowly it'll grow. And maybe you'll get that little bump. But it's so unfair also. So again, that's why I like to um, promote smaller channels. That's something I'm so into right now. And if I come across a random video, I'll share it on Instagram. But now I'm doing these shout outs at the end of my videos. Cause like, I know even a boost of like a couple hundred subscribers can just get the ball rolling. And like the bottom line is that there are a lot of really small channels who are making such good content, but like the way that the algorithm works, they're just probably not going to get picked up for a while. Really all you need to do is hashtag hustle every day. Actually, every day. yeah, you're right. <laughs> seven days a week. You're right. <laughs> 24 seven hustle. Oh, yeah. uh, they're like this? just post every day and then eventually i'm like well kind of yeah the more you post maybe <laughs> one will do well uh you've been doing this for 10 years now what if you could if you could get in a time machine and go back 10 years and see 10 year old well not 10, <laughs> 10 year ago <laughs> tiffany excuse me uh what's the one piece of advice that you would give her sorry i'm doing the math i think i've been doing this actually 14 years if we go back to her first channel oh You'd be 11. Years. What I advice are you 11. giving 11 year old you? Yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, hi. Okay. Hi. <laughs> um, buy yourself a nice little um, digital camera. Stop dropping it. Sometimes my camera would break and I'd just be like, I can't make videos for six months until I have a birthday and can get another camera. <laughs> um, I think I would tell myself back then, don't be afraid to modify popular things but in your own way to be able to take advantage of popularity because I think that did stifle my my growth on YouTube a lot my stubbornness and like I'm not gonna do what's popular I'm gonna cool. do what's different that's fine but like you can also take something that's popular make it your own make it genuine to your format or yourself and use that little boost because like that's not it's not a bad thing to to take advantage and like honestly that's probably one of the only ways that you can really scratch your way into some some uh, success when you're first starting out on YouTube. What do you think YouTube might look like 10 years from now? Oh God. I'm like, if I'm still on YouTube, chances are, oh God, I don't know. I'm like, do I want to still be on YouTube or do I not? <laughs> uh, both of those kind of seem equally sad. <laughs> I guess also the question is, do you think YouTube will ever, because it's sort of becoming mainstream now, do you think it's ever going to get mm -hmm. to the point where it's kind of like Facebook is now, where it's like, oh, right. that's just what, you know, those old people in their 30s are, are You guys watching. are making YouTube videos? Ew. <laughs> <laughs> you guys talk longer than two minutes? Yeah, really. Long form content? <laughs> uh, make a movie, nerds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I do believe in the, um, you know, creativity and like, I don't think 
video content is ever going to die. No. So I think YouTube can always adapt to be that space. But what I would love to see is I would like to see competitors because we've seen like other short form or other like photo based platforms, but we've never really seen a full YouTube competitor. And I think there are a lot of things about the, the platform that are not the best for creators or even for viewers. And so, yeah, I think like some healthy competition would be nice. And if we had other options of where to post our videos and not necessarily have to worry as much about like arbitrary demonetization or like on the other end of that, like really abusive and hateful comments or, you know, um, yeah, I hope that we can have other video platforms. But the hard thing is like you post on YouTube because the people are there. That's where the everybody so, is. Even if there's another platform, like you have to wait until enough people are there to, to gain that momentum. Do you think that the sense of kind of broadcast yourself is fading away rapidly as the whole corporate culture is taking over so much of YouTube? Or do you just think it's going to be a kind of a binary platform where you've got the corporate side and you've got the, the real side? That makes me so nostalgic. I remember the early <laughs> days of YouTube. I remember when there was like an actual chance you could be on the front page oh, of yeah. YouTube, like yeah. the homepage. Yep. It was exciting and looking I, at the homepage every day. You would see what's trending or what's what's new and yeah. You'd see some Randy, Randy, some random tiny channel put on the homepage and they'd skyrocket into, you know, 2010 YouTube fame. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we are going to see that kind of binary of like, the corporate content's not going away, unfortunately, because I made a video about um, celebrities and, and corporate content on YouTube and clearly they're seeing the value. It's like anything else, like people see, oh, like influencers or traditional celebrities can make a lot more money if they're joining in on this social media thing. So like start, you know, getting brand deals on Instagram, start making videos on YouTube, even if they're not like good, like people will watch you because you're famous. <laughs> so like I can see why a lot of celebrities have gone that route. Um, maybe a few of them do genuinely have a passion for YouTube. I think I mentioned like Jack, Jack Black's Black. videos. Yeah. Um, Jablinski Games is kicking it is. It's I a love fantastic that. channel. And Will Smith, to his credit, for yeah. a dude who's probably clearly that busy, there's quite a few videos and he seems to seems to actually enjoy the connection with the YouTube audience. So I could right. be reading into it. But. Or at least it seems like, because like with some celebrity channels, it's literally like, I'm sure someone kind of writes the video or the outline for them, set it up and they just sit there and say it. Whereas, you know, other people at least have a bit more of an interest. Yeah. And then the corporate content, like, yeah, of course, everything's going to be reposted online, which kind of is to my benefit. Like, I love watching, um, what is it, last week, tonight, John Oliver? Yeah. Um, I always, I always binge those all the time and I'm not ever going to watch that on TV. I don't even know where I would watch it. Right. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah, you're always going to have the independent creators and you're always going to have that cycle of like small indie YouTuber. And then you start getting popular and you start doing your brand deals and then you become unrelatable and rich. You got to move to LA. So they should just make two different trending tabs. One trending tab, which is the larger stuff that you came to see. It's probably going to be the default one that you whatever. And then just have a little tab beside it, which is like YouTubers, traditional <laughs> organic YouTubers. Seriously. That's where you can find Pootie Pies and all of the people on this platform who are still on this platform and didn't run off like Lily Singh to do a late night show or to do whatever and are doubling down on this platform and YouTube can finally get behind them. And also, since YouTube's listening to this. Uh, <laughs> hello, YouTube. Hello, YouTube. Um, reorganize the categories because it's impossible yeah. to classify either as a movie, television show, music, and then there's like 
fashion and beauty is all one huge right. thing. And then how to like cleaning, woodworking, science, everything else is like lumped into one huge category and we get no respect. So that's the end <laughs> of my rant. Excuse yes, me. I agree with that. And I, I don't know. When it comes to the trending tab, like, I don't think I've ever looked at the trending tab. Um, I also find it fascinating, like, when I'm logged out of YouTube to see, like, what the homepage looks like. I'm like, what's being promoted to, like, I forget that other people don't have YouTube accounts or, like, only go on YouTube to search, like, how to whatever, yeah. like, how to hang this this shelf on my wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, like, cat videos, sure. Um, yeah, I forget that there are people who are not like me who have, like, I have, like, thousands of videos on my watch later and I I do systematically like check my subscriptions but also check my watch later and check my recommended and like it's very uh <laughs> very catered to me I forget that there are people who just kind of like oh what is YouTube giving me oh like I don't even know who like dream this big massive gamer is is that it I only see when I go on Twitter and I'm like, this person is a big deal. And like, <laughs> even I, as a native YouTuber, there's so much that is just beyond me, especially when it comes to the, the most big, the most big, <laughs> the biggest people uh, on the platform. I feel like we need like, we need like a mid tier trending. We need like a tiny, like small yeah. channel trending. Like that would be really exciting to be able to see people who, you know, are not already Mr. Beast love size it. channels. Love and it. it incubates it incubates talent which are um, uh, um, uh, wanting to be on this platform because the platform wants them to be there. Like they're, you're actually showing interest in the people that are creating on your platform. And it really wouldn't take much. Every so often they'll do like the creator on the rise. Right, yeah. Hey, here's some videos from this person. And normally they're bang on. I've seen some of them and ended up subscribing to some of these people and whatnot. But I was like... It seems like a very, very small contribution versus all of the late night show clips or when Mr. Right. Beast releases a video or a movie trailer happens or a video game trailer or whatever it is. And then that's just everything. That that just takes over. The only content that's going to end up being promoted at that point is even if it is smaller YouTubers talking about Star Wars or <laughs> right. reacting to the trailer, like that's the only stuff they're going to get behind. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say, yeah, every time I've seen like when I'm watching a video and I see it's trending, it's like it's already the channels who have multiple millions of subscribers. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, good for them for getting on the trending. So I like this creator. But also I'm like, do we need to say that this popular creator is trending? Like, that's kind of obvious. I think that's what people have really enjoyed about TikTok, for example, is like the, the thought, the idea that you might just post something and it might just blow up like yeah. that, that is a lot more likely to happen. Well, who knows how likely it is, but it seems a lot more within reach on TikTok because it's so random. And that was like early YouTube. Uh, yeah. Right, yeah. I remember when like back in the day, like getting like 10,000 subscribers was like, you were one of the biggest people on the platform. Um, Do you remember when Fred hit a million subscribers? Yes, when people were hitting a million, that was unheard of. That was like people would make like celebration videos with all the other YouTube friends that they had. And like, it was such a precious time. Wow, Fred is like, that's a whole other part of my memory to revisit. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I just got to say, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who has this mania about my watch list or watch later list. Yes. I, I don't know why I do this. I have, I must have a thousand videos in there. And I'm like, what? I'm amazed. Like, if, if I didn't have that, I, I would, I mean, I'd probably just have 40 tabs open on my computer, yeah. which I already do. But like, thank God for that. Because then I do go back and I'm like, oh, thank you. I saw this video in my recommended two days ago. Like it definitely does 
in terms of being effective for YouTube and keeping my watch time high, I'm like, hell yeah, thank you. Because now I can like somewhat organize the like just ridiculous amount of videos that I always want to watch. I kind of feel like it's in a way it's sort of like my email inbox is like once yeah. it gets past that first page, I'm probably not going to watch those. <laughs> That's true. So our videos go to die. <laughs> I actually, I checked mine recently and you can sort it from oldest to newest. Right. Yeah. And my, my oldest ones were from like the 2016 election. <laughs> and I was like, oh, here's Casey Neistat going to tell us who he voted for. Better get on that. <laughs> I might as well watch that now. So tell us what is next for the Tiffany Ferg YouTube channel. I admire your ability to consist, even at this point, say that this is something that you do because you treat it as 100% an outlet for you creatively. And that's what it is. That's what it has been acting as for 10 years. However, you've had a great amount of success with it. And now you're figuring out how to turn this into a business and make it sustainable. So therefore your time doesn't continue to get sucked away from this. Where are you and what are you looking to do in the future? I'm just trying to get my shit together, which is just a constant issue. I don't think I'll ever do it. But um, yeah, something I've been trying to work on since graduating college is like, okay, if YouTube's my job now, I want to be an adult and I want to work a respectable amount of hours. But I'm also conflicted because I disagree with the idea that we should arbitrarily work at least 40 hours a week. And if we don't, then we're lazy. So I'm constantly battling with like these like dueling productivity, like ideas, but also like your work is not your life, but also my YouTube is kind of everything <laughs> to me. And uh, what else is there to do? Um, so yeah, I, I am constantly in the loop of like, like I just posted my last video what, on Saturday? And now I'm like, oh no, it's already Wednesday. Shit. <laughs> and like, now I have to start this process again. I mean, I just got, I got my vaccine the other day. And so I was sick for a couple of days. I was like, all right, this is valid. I'll take it off. Um, but now I'm like, oh no, I've got to get back into it. And I, I feel this like stress and fear almost every time I start the process of making a video, even though it's exciting, it's like, it is nerve wracking and it's, um, Again, the pressure is always high, even though I know that I put that pressure on myself. So next video, hopefully, don't even know which one it's going to be yet. I have, a, I have a heavy topic, but I'm wondering if it's too heavy and too controversial. And Ooh. I don't know if I want to invite that upon myself. Oh, now I want to hear it. I'll tell you what it is. So I've had this on my list for a while because I've listened to a lot of like true crime podcasts and, and watch true crime stuff. So I wanted to talk about the like the ethics of enjoying true crime but specifically the part about true crime being like copaganda. It obviously right. promotes, um, it, it promotes prisons, it promotes the police as like our savior in solving crimes and everything. And so I, I wanted to explore that because especially through the Black Lives Matter protests over the summer and more discussions about abolishing the police, I'm like, is it okay for me as someone who would like to abolish police and prisons to also enjoy true crime and be like rooting for them to like lock them up. I'm like, this is obviously very <laughs> contradictory. But then I'm also like, do I want to get into this discussion on YouTube.com? And do I want people to be like, oh, you really believe that murderers and, and rapists should not be in prison? Like, I've heard people get like, you know, terrible threats and stuff for even discussing these topics. So I'm like, hmm, I don't really want to invite that upon myself. So yeah, I'm like, sorry if so many things I've said in this are probably like demonetization for you. Just block it out if you need to. But we don't, we don't yeah, get so demonetized. That's, 
<laughs> you have no, to make yeah, money. We don't need to be monetized. demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then you're good. Sure. I'll say all my keywords. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, that's always the conflict is like, I feel like I have these ideas that are really stimulating for myself and I'm interested in learning more. But then I'm like, do I want to get into that on the internet? Because that's a whole other can of worms. To learn more about the wonderful world of Tiffany Ferguson, you can visit her YouTube channel, appropriately named Tiffany Ferg, and show your support for our podcast by heading on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a rating, five stars maybe. Leave a review, tell us about your favorite guest or why you enjoy listening to the show. Not only does it make Steve and I feel great, but it also helps our podcast get discovered by new listeners. Thank you to Tiffany for spending some time with us today. And a special thanks to you for listening to Chad and Steve have a podcast.